Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Kings and Priests podcast, where we talk faith, business, tech, entrepreneurship, uh, and and how you know all of that intersects. I'm here with uh, my brilliant co-host, Dean Sweetman. Dean, how are you? Fantastic. Love talking about business, entrepreneurship, faith, all that good stuff. We're approaching our 100th episode here, semi soon, which is pretty crazy. You know, time flies. Maybe time we're flies. professional professional podcasters now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to read a tweet to you because I think I found something that you and I like. Obviously, you and I have a lot of differences in terms of age and experience and and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But I read this tweet and it was really interesting to me. Um, and I think you're gonna you're gonna find it interesting. And I I I want to just maybe set up a maybe a little bit of a friendly debate here. Okay. Right. Long story short, we've been building, you know, vast and now pulpit AI pretty much in public. This podcast, a lot of times, has kind of just become, in many ways, me and us hashing stuff out in real time, right? Yeah. Kind of using what we're doing as an experiment, you know, to right. for the show. And so the last, you know, a couple months as pulpit AI has gotten some buzz around it, we've just been trying to figure out what do we do next, what direction do we take. And so I've chatted with you a lot and, and a couple of other guys who kind of are in my life who I consider to be like mentors who have been, you know, not just like semi-successful, but I look at and go, they've really built something incredible, you know, and you guys, each one of you have given me pretty much, pretty much the exact same advice Good to know. as your, as your initial reaction to me going, what next steps do I take? Yeah. And then I read this tweet, which which caused me to start thinking. And then I read this tweet and uh, it made me think about it more. So I want to read this. I want to get your thoughts on it. And then I want to kind of share what my kind of opinions are on on the subject. Okay. So this is a tweet from uh, Austin Rafe, who was the founder of Morning Brew. Okay. So yeah. the company, I think they maybe raised 400,000, the entirety of their company sold it for, I think like 75 million something like that. So they did pretty well for themselves. So here's what he said. He said, I've met hundreds of founders who have made 10 million or more in a large exit. They all now want the same thing to own a, to own a cash flowing business. Mm -hmm. He said, there's something fascinating about the psyche of a person who worked for years without making much money and then made a large lump sum. He said, people who make 2 million a year or more typically spend way more than people who made 20 million in a day via an exit. And he says, I think this is for two reasons. This person knows how hard it is to make that money and they're scared they'll never be able to make it again. And it's very fulfilling to have money coming in that you are actively earning regardless of your net net worth. So he kind of goes on a little bit of a a dovetail here. But when he says this, he says, I've met hundreds of founders who have made 10 million or more in a large exit. They all now want the same thing to own a cash flowing business. Here is what I took from that and some of the conversations I've had with folks who have been successful. And I want to hear your thoughts. Anyone who's made money in business has t- tells me, do whatever you can do to not raise money, own as much of the business of yourself, do whatever it takes to own as much of the business as you can yourself, cash flow it so that you are in complete control, so to speak, of your destiny, right? My sort of tongue-in-cheek response has always been, that's easy to say from the guys who are already on the other side of right. have made of made the money. I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Like that's fascinating to me in the world of like tech entrepreneurship, where like building things, selling it, getting a big payday, whether that's half a million or 10 million doesn't really matter. Right. right? It's a life changing amount of money. 
Um, why do you think it is? Because I have found that to be true. People, almost <clears throat> every person I've talked to that sold a company, mm -hmm. what they want to do now is own something that's boring and that cash right. flows. And they right. want to tell every person they give advice to, to do the same thing. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, I, I think one reason for that is, and you alluded to it, it's very hard to hit, hit one out of the park and have a big exit. It's just difficult. And those founders know it. And so I think in their minds, they're like, I did it once. Could I really do this again? Mm -hmm. When you see the road littered with literally like thousands of fa failures, and then they had some kind of big exit and a business took off and like, the, what are the odds of that happening again? Okay, well, I'm too young. I don't want to retire. I don't want to sit around to do nothing. And 10, 10 million sounds like a lot of money, but it isn't that a lot of money when you, right. if, you're, if you're 35 and you're going to live another, you know, 40, 50 right. years, <laughs> add it up. It's not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So, so I think then they're like, yeah, I, and and the other thing too is you get a, your lifestyle goes up and you know you start doing things that you didn't do before that are now automatic you know you're going to fly first class or you're going to stay at the five star hotel like you just start doing things right you go on a really nice vacation and that's hard to leave right and like the 10 million that you get you want to keep the the standard that you, you kind of used to yeah. And and now all of a sudden you're like, hang on a minute, this is, you know. So look, I, I think that's just one of the reasons why they think that. Now, I would I would say to you, I'm the I, you know, I'm in a position where I'm doing what I love and will do it, you know, for a long time, um, in some capacity or form, right? But I really enjoy, I enjoyed the, obviously the vertical that I live in is the favorite thing in the world to me, the local church, all of that. Mm -hmm. But I have had chats with just like friends of mine, partners of mine. It's like, man, what, should we go buy like a hundred apartments and, yeah. you know, <laughs> go yeah. and like get yeah. a cash flow thing going. Mm -hmm. um, I, we, I, I have had those conversations mm -hmm. and cause it is appealing to me to have something kind of rolling somewhere, you know, and it's the proverbial, oh, can I buy a business that doesn't tax too much of my time and effort and have some free cash flow, you know, spitting out to supplement everything that I'm doing. It appeals to me, you know, and I've had, I've had conversations. I'm not on the verge of doing anything like today, but I wouldn't rule it out in the next 12 months. Right. And do you think that because it, you know, it, it is interesting, right? Like, you, I, I feel like I talk to a couple different kinds of people. I, I talk to people maybe my age and younger mm -hmm. who are like building a venture back business or have built one or have been in them. Mm -hmm. And they're sort of like, that's just the way that you do it. It's, it's almost like a philosophical thing. But then I, I legitimately almost every single person who is older than me and who has been successful and like in this instance, financially. Yeah has said the same thing. Now, I think oftentimes, and I, I don't, I actually don't necessarily think this is the case for you, but I know a couple of these guys I've talked to, I know the risks they've take, taken yeah. and I know the deals they've done and the money they've taken and all that kind of stuff over the years. Right. And from what I under, what it seems like they're saying is, is like kind of like what you said. It's like, 
it in many ways feels like a roll of the dice to sell a company yep. and get some kind of exit. Yeah. Yeah. The money may be more, it may be more exhilarating, but kind of just the nuts and bolts and singles and doubles of building business. Right. It's not necessarily that it's the safer way. It's just maybe the more reasonable way. And so if you can do it that way, do it that right. way. Yeah. Would you? Yeah. Yeah. Look, look, you know, I've taken extraordinary risks, like, you know, to get where I am. And th there is a point, like I'm getting older, so I don't want to keep taking big risks. You know, now I'm, I'm a, you know, somewhat of an angel investor now. And so I'll, you know, I invest in companies that I think I, I got, you know, I've probably done five, not very many, not like, I'm, you know, Jason Calacanis or anything, with like <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of Thousands, angel investments. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but, you know, I've done a few, two are doing okay. Like mm -hmm. two of them are worth four times the value that I started investing at. Now, mm -hmm. are they going to go on to be hundred plus million dollar businesses? I don't know. One of them has the possibility, actually both of them do. In which case I will get a very good return yep. on a fairly modest amount of money up front. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's going to be seven figures. Mm, so mm -hmm. there's, right. you know, but that's, I have an appetite for that still. Right. And I enjoy doing that because I get to work with founders a bit and, you know, coach them a bit and, you know, all the rest of it. Um, but I do, I have been thinking about some dumb mm -hmm. cash flow business that would just, just needs some capital and the thing could, you know, I'm kind of broken a bit because I love so like I've discovered software. Right. And with software, yeah. it's hard to just sort of like bootstrap. You, you can't beat the margins, software. you know, like software is just unbeatable when it comes to anything like, like a bad software business, 60% gross margin, but you can get like, we have parts of our business are in the nineties. Mm -hmm. It's because you build it once and you go and sell it thousands of times. And, you know, as long as you maintain it and keep it all cooking, it's just, it's just, phenomenal so but do think, that doesn't mean i wouldn't do something else outside of software right. either if i you know do saw you, an opportunity right do you think some of it is just kind of like a cycle back to and i i'll i'll put the tweet in the um show notes i tried to find it i can't but it's from another sort of angel investor and his whole thing was like his whole thesis like the seed and the pre-seed investment are dead based upon what it has been in the last 12 or 15 years because yeah. you sort of it's not, it's not going to go away but even oh. in the sense of like what people are expecting in return from this kind of stuff simply because of what we've seen over the last 18 months right like companies who were valued at in the billions yeah. are now way down like is are, are we in just maybe approaching a new cycle where fundamentals are kind of coming back into Oh, popularity and like and and even in terms of like the way entrepreneurs are thinking about building business is much less like let me go raise a bunch of money let's try and build this big massive thing and really kind of like no let me just like kind of do this going at my own pace yeah the way yeah, that we're i back want in to reality right mm -hmm. i think there's two things one like you used to think of seed pre-seed as like maybe 250 to half a million right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now it's probably a million Right. And and the the angel pre seed type investors, like they're you know splashing a million bucks around. Now you're going to syndicate it probably, and you're going to get ten people with hundred grand, and you know so the, just the dynamics are changing because I think it, it costs more to go and launch a product. You know you right. can't launch an app, a real app, 
for under a million. Like you right. can't build an app. Right. Oh, build this app with no code. It's like it's that's just that's crap. Yeah, that it makes sense if 20 people are going to use it, but anything right. beyond that, right? You have to have proper if you, like if you're gonna build an app with you know 200,000 users or a million users, it's gonna cost a lot of money. And and for it to look good, for it to work good, for it to be good, for it to scale. So, you know, that that's just the point of entry is getting more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so all those things I I think, but I think we're in a seasonal moment, in, especially in tech. It's like big pullback. Um it's interesting, like the Dow is like ripping. It's down today, but it's like two weeks of just gains. Mm-hmm. Um, only seven stocks have lifted the NASDAQ. It's not the whole broader market. Right. You know, a lot of those IPOs from the last two years or the SPACs are still in the toilet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just a different season. And I think we just had a rate hike. Do we have another one? Maybe, maybe not. Are we done? Probably. Is inflation going to get to 2%, you know, sooner rather than later? If it, We have to have unemployment go up if that's going to happen, which is kind of the terrible kind of two-edged sword about it. But, you know, I think I think we're soft landing into next year and the economy is going to be pretty good. So all the dynamics around risk change when money starts getting cheaper and, like, as an investor, I go, oh, I can only get 2% on T-bills instead of 5%. I may as well go and put money into, you know, my apartment complex or my partner, you know, do a real estate deal or, um, it, you know, as the money cheap gets cheaper, the money comes back into risk, riskier things, because people are willing to take the risk because they're getting crap returns from, you know, the, the safety zones. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. We'll see what happens in the next, you know, 12, 18 months. What, to kind of go back to something that you said, so you've made, a handful, maybe a little bit more than a handful of these sort of like small angel investment. Mm-hmm. You said there's a couple of them that are seeming like they're going to do very, very well. Right. right. <clears throat> what do you think it is about not necessarily the product, but the founder? Like mm-hmm. if you were to, if you were to say, okay, these people that have started this thing, what would you say are the characteristics yeah, that's definitely the founders of, you know, you're investing in the product and the idea, but really it's the person you're putting, placing a bet on. You know, they're typically um, positive people. You know, you've got, they're, they're either engineering, like genius, or they're people geniuses. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a people genius, but I'm pretty good at like the people thing. And, and so you know, if I get impressed by, I've met two people in the last two weeks that I just want to hire Mm. and they're so impressive and they're young and they've built stuff. They're successful. Um, like, how do I, how do I, how do I buy you? (laughs) How do I get like, we'll get, I'll get your, we'll buy your product, but man, I want you hanging around here Mm -hmm. for five years. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I, I tend to invest in the person first mm-hmm. and then and i would say the the those two in particular are very the tech genius they're young they can speak properly they can articulate a, a sentence and an idea you can tell they're educated and, and i by that i don't mean book smart like they're just they're well read they have gone and become experts you know in particular areas so they can articulate you know and they just come off as impressive people. 
mm-hmm. and you can you just listen to someone for an hour talk about whatever it is they're going to do and you're like you get to the end you're like yep you know what you're talking about you've mm-hmm. you've really researched this you've i'll bet on you mm-hmm. and oh what are, what are you building oh i got this cool product and it's spitting out you know like 200 grand in ar in the second year and I, that, you know, I think it can 10 X in the next year too. And like, great, let's go. <laughs> Here's some money. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Let's talk. Let's kind of like take that. Cause you said you've met a couple of really interesting people and let's kind of transition that into, you know, we've talked a lot about AI. Uh, you were just at a conference this week. And I think a, a lot of the conversation around, uh, I'm, I'm actually seeing it more and more in the church space, which is, yeah. How do we use AI? How do we leverage AI? So I guess two questions. What are you seeing? What are you thinking? What's like the conversation out there in the church world around how this is going to be used? But I guess then even further of all of these products, right? What are the kind of products that you think like make it through kind of the the AI hype cycle? So to speak. I just just got asked today to speak in front of 2000 pastors about AI in October. And, um, so like that, so the first part, there's a massive appetite. Like what, what is this? How do we apply it? What do we do? I'm not an expert in it. I can tell you that, but I, I came, I came away from a CEO conference earlier in the year and, you know, it was like November last year, you know, when we all went and joined all us early adopters and then I paid for the $20 thing, like the next day I came back from this conference and I t- told the whole company, 180 people. We'll pay for the 20 bucks. Go get GPT-4. Everybody is going to use it every day for something. And so that's how bullish I am on it. The obvious things for a church are not dissimilar to something like for us. So we do a lot of content marketing. We we buy a lot of Google ads, but we got awesome SEO engine. It's eight years of, you know, owning certain search terms. So we're always one, two, or three, one and two mostly. And so how can a church leverage that? You know, I've said this to a few, if I was planning a church today and I told this to a buddy of mine, he's in Frisco, Texas. I said, you should write a blog every day on your community and you should write about the school system and the crime and the celebration and the graduation and the mm-hmm. and the positive and the negative. You should just be an expert. Mm-hmm. A great and new so restaurant that just opened up around the corner. All of it, yeah. all of it, yep. all of it. So when someone moves to Frisco, and wants to know what's going on in Frisco, you can be the number one guy. And then at the bottom, oh, this was Pastor Kerry. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're like, mm-hmm. Pastor Kerry, you're a pastor. And then boom, like there's, there you go. Brand new person in the community mm-hmm. looking for a church. If they're a Christian, maybe even they're not a Christian and they just like this blog because this guy's an expert on Frisco. I've thought that strategy would is a winning strategy. But guess what now with Ch- ChatGPT? I can I can spit these articles out in a minute. Mm-hmm. No, the article gets written in under 10 seconds, mm-hmm. but then I can go in and edit and make sure my keywords are right. And I can literally take headlines out of the local like news source, or probably a website. Maybe there's a newspaper or a community newspaper. I can literally take those headlines and ask ChatGPT to write a commentary, an opinion piece on this. And maybe spend 10 minutes doing edits and post it to my blog. Mm-hmm. I could, if I wanted, I could do 50 a week. Right. Yeah. 
But if I did it every day and I did five articles a week, and the first thing I did when I woke up is I prayed, I read my Bible and did my then did my blog. I guarantee you, within six months, Frisco News, I'd be mm -hmm. number one. Mm -hmm. And like off to the races. So yep. okay. For a church, right? There's like newsletters, there's there's content. You know, we've got a product called Sermonly. It literally is a research assistant to help you write a sermon. It doesn't replace the Holy Spirit. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't. <laughs> no, Dean, it I, has demons in it. It has demons it, in it. Yeah, probably does. <laughs> um, I, I heard that episode that you and Jake and David were talking about. It was hilarious. But it's like, if I could save you four hours a week in research, because you're all, they're all going to the web anyway. Like there's Logos over here. That's probably 10% of sermon writers. And the 90% go to the web and they start searching around and they've got their favorite sites and they're clicking and cutting and pasting and building a sermon. This is just that, but with AI and, but it's better. I, I, you can, I can give you the context of Daniel in Babylon, political context, geographical context. It's just going to spit it all out and help you build your sermon around. Then I can say, Hey, give me, you know, five leadership lessons from Daniel being, you know, in Babylon in their captivity, boom, out they come. I, I was, yeah. Develop and expand on this one. Boom, down it goes. And now I've got a body of work here where I can literally go and put a sermon together because I get I did all my research in minutes, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right, instead yeah. of hours. Well, what's crazy is, you know, Jake and I were talking to a, a pastor, um, younger pastor. He's taken over his church for his dad. Church is like 12,000 people, been around 50 years, and yeah. he uses it for his sermons chat gpt right now and it's it's he doesn't necessarily use it to study yet but what he does is he helps it do like alliterations you yeah. know and it's like hey this is my point help me make this sound better help exactly. me make this more memorable or whatever yeah. it might be and he's like it's wild how it can just so quickly help things be more digestible you know yeah. and yeah. um yeah it's, yeah, it's pretty incredible yeah and and you know it's and get good at prompting you know, like become an expert, but like AI is, is, is going to change everything. It is changing everything. Um, and I think the church, the church can, you know, capitalize and use it. Um, we're, we're building a new product around service planning. We think we can with AI, like basically based on what you've done in the past and a few criteria, we think we can AI your service plan, like just mm -hmm. in like four seconds. So, you know, that's a really good point. Like if you were to be able, if like if a pastor was able to, let's say, upload their sermon notes, and again, it would all have to be, depend on how far in advance the church plans and all that kind of stuff. But imagine if you had all your songs and your song lyrics and the pastor could upload their sermon and it says, okay, with these, and you, you this is what you want. You want the songs to be right. uh, God focused or me, fo like whatever right. theme you want to go for. And it can just sure. match up songs, yeah, lyrics with sermons and scriptures. That's going to happen. Yeah. That's going to happen. So look, there's tons of ways churches are going to be able to leverage AI. And, you know, it's like, there'll be like, there'll be early adopters that love it and do it. There'll be people still have cash and check giving. <laughs> and so it's like, there's always a long tail, the, the, the people that don't adopt, but that's okay. They, they you know, the, the, the kid takes over from the dad eventually and uh, they they dive headfirst into all the mm -hmm. technology. You know, been... an interesting an interesting anecdote. I was talking to a guy the other day. He coaches three hundred Methodist pastors, like mm -hmm. local Methodist pastors. Mm -hmm. the, the most of them have churches under uh, under a hundred people. 
Yeah. And the, the, he said he was just at a church. The church is under 100 people, still doesn't even have a PA system. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, like, think about, right? I think it's somewhere in Louisiana, doesn't have a PA system. Mm-hmm. And the pastor is using Chat GPT. Right. Right. So, if you just think about the application and the use case that is yeah. so broad, right? Yeah. It's hard to not imagine um, how it just doesn't just continue to, um, you know, grow from here in really crazy, crazy ways. Yeah. And just like content creating around like, okay, we're going to do a series on marriages and like, you can just go and get like the outlines of anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I did a um, presentation to a, a group of um, business people in a church and, you know, I just, I said, give me, give me 10 business characteristics that Christians, you know, and make it biblical and, and give me scripture references. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. I used right. it word for word. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like, but it's like, but I knew how to prompt to get it. And what I could do now is I could take each of those points that were like one paragraph with a verse. I could cut and paste that back in and say, develop and expand, paste that point and give me three sub points with three more scripture references like used in this context this is the audience i want to hit you know 35 and under go and then i could do each of my 10 points and basically have probably a two three thousand you know word course Hmm. that would take less than a day yeah yeah and then i could go over to um mid journey Mm -hmm. and and basically like like create some space age or some cover graphic mm-hmm. and then i could then i could cut it all and say hey do i want a twitter campaign mm-hmm. over the next 21 days give me one tweet a day from this material then i'd get a twitter campaign mm-hmm. <laughs> in like 12 seconds yeah. it's it's just that's crazy it's bonkers and we're just getting started yep yep I love it. Hey, so before we close, since we talk a lot about faith and work, do you yep. have five more minutes? I do. A few minutes. Okay, so crazy story. You know, we've talked a lot of, over um, the last couple of years doing this podcast about what does it mean to be Christian in the workplace? And oftentimes yep. we just go back to like expertise and doing a really good job and caring right. a lot about your work. And we've done right. tons of conversations and episodes around this, right? right. So um to make a really long story short, about a month ago, in just a few days, my wife and I had our second baby, Willa, baby girl, brought her home, perfectly healthy. After a couple of days, we take her to the emergency room because she is like, the only way I can describe it is like, did you see the movie The Exorcist? Yeah, because that thing. was, it was just crazy, right? Anyways, turns out through about 12 hours worth of testing, she had what's called intestinal malrotation. So the intestines just had basically twisted around on themselves three times, basically just causing the intestines to then block and then blocks the bowel, right? So long story short, we find out we've got to do emergency surgery. It's like midnight, the doctor, uh, sweet doctor, kind of like sped in up from Santa Monica to do this emergency on July 4th, you know, like just got it all set up, got there, wheeled in. And right as we were about to hand the baby off in the operating room, we just kind of stopped and I said, let's just pray, right? So just laid my hands on the baby, we prayed. And as we're leaving, Jill's like, I'm pretty sure the doctor just said, you know, I I prayed with you, God will be with us or something like that. And I didn't hear it. So I was like, yeah, yeah, maybe did. But I was just, I didn't think much of it, right? And it's an intense moment. It's an intense moment. 
Exactly. It was like crazy, right? So the, the surgery was supposed to last about two and a half hours, about an hour and a half in, the doctor calls us and says the surgery went perfect. It was exactly what I thought was wrong. She's oh, yeah. fine. But he goes, he, he said this, he said, I just want you to know, I've heard you praying. I very much am a Christian. Wow. I was praying for her. And wow. I was praying for her the whole surgery. God was with her. How cool. It's is this that? miracle, right? So that to us is just like, such a cool moment. Yeah. So she was in the NICU for eight days. And I did not go every single nurse we talked to every single doctor we talked to said, thank man, you guys are so lucky to have had Dr. Chin because he's the best in the business. There's wow. nobody as good as him in all of America at doing surgery on babies. I'm, I'm, we probably heard this like 30 times, like wow. legitimately. So the, uh, we, she comes out of the NICU the week next week goes by. And it's our first post-op meeting with him. And we like wrote him a thank you note. And he walked in and he goes, okay, so I just want to say like, I'm a man of science. I'm, yeah. I've, I have worked for 35 years. I've done thousands of surgeries. When I opened up, I, I know that God was doing a miracle in your daughter because when I opened her up, her intestines should have been blue or black and they weren't. It's a miracle. Wow. He wow. said, but he, go, he goes, but he goes, here's what's crazy. He said, I'm a Christian. And in, during every surgery, I pray. Wow. And he goes, he goes, if I, if something's going wrong, he goes, I'll stop. I'll take a moment and I'll say, God, can you just help? And he prays for every single kid he does surgery for. Beautiful. And he's telling us the story and it just kind of like hit me. And I just looked at him. I said, you know, like we've had a hundred people tell us in the last week that you're the best at what you do. <laughs> and I said, I think, I think maybe that's because you take this so seriously. Yeah. Like you, you are a man of faith. He's just, he's just helped a church in New York city buy a building and an old church building and helping them renovate it Come like on. a real Christian guy. Right. And he literally said, yeah, this is my work, but it's my ministry. And so I don't think it's like an, I don't think it's an accident that he's so good. Of course. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So to me, that was just such a cool, like, love it. Such a cool story of someone whose work is like Christianity like, and work. Like there mm -hmm. it is. And, and like you praying for your child, which as Christians, that's an automatic thing for us to do. And then the doctor, you know, there's the handoff and he's mm -hmm. like, Amen. Mm -hmm. and then, you know, all the nurses for eight days are talking about it. And mm -hmm. like, he's got this reputation and it, yep. the gospel won. Like mm -hmm. a, that was good for, for the gospel that week in that yep. hospital. Yeah. So, very yeah. Cool. It was, it was just cool to, in such a non-Christian environment, have a Christian yeah. take their work so seriously. You know, yeah. I was like, I was like, look, I, I was like, I want to discount how good you are at your job. Like, yeah, yes, God right. was, it was a miracle, but you're also the best. And so thank you. And he was like, yeah, that's actually a really good point. You know, look, I think on the whole, every person in healthcare that I've had personally anything to do with or, or known, they love their work. They, it's a calling as much as anything. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like it's hard to feel like you're when you're a lawyer, that's your calling. Because, <laughs> <laughs> but if you're there yeah. literally saving baby lives, that, yeah, that's uh, exactly that's that's you know part calling, part you know yes, your 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 job. So good yep. story, man. Yeah, Price man. Yeah, if you got a job, man, do it under the Lord because no matter what you're doing, it it makes absolutely. a big difference. So absolutely cool. Well, hey, listen, follow us on all the socials. Check out Sermonly. Check out Pulpit AI. Check out Vast. Check out all the different things. And um, hit us up if you have any questions. We'd love to hear from you. And we yeah. will uh, we'll talk to you again next week.